this my Bible? I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. It's true. All right. John chapter 13 today. Again, John wrote over half his gospel about the last week of Jesus. And I'm convinced more than ever that John was so taken about that last week. He was so impressed about the way Jesus handled it. He was so, Jesus was so intense about making sure that his last moments, he was saying everything that he could say. In fact, last week as we ended, we heard Jesus cry out because it was his last public, his last public talk. He knew his audience. And so I'm just going to repeat verse 47 of chapter 12. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. And then he goes on to say, in other words, he says, but I want you to know there is a judge. In other words, you're not going to get away with it. You can reject all you want, but there's going to be consequences. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. And now, this is, and this was, I think, kind of a, a surprise to me. I mean, this is the answer. This is why, this is why we don't have to condemn because it says the very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. We can live with the, with the confidence that once we have told them and they know, the response is not up to us. I have a lady on Monday night who, she's been dealing with this 98 I mean, she's at the very tail end of her life, and she is one bitter, bitter, hateful woman. And this this lady goes and visits her, and she says, it's brutal because she's nasty. She says, the only thing that draws me back to her is because she's lost. And I'm not willing to give up. And it's kind of like with Jesus with the Pharisees. He just, you know, you'd think he would have just thrown in the towel. But even up until that last public speech, he is still making sure. And she says that this lady, this lady could go to her grave not knowing, because anytime she brings up the name of Jesus, And are you sure you're ready to meet the Lord? Because you will. I mean, these convicting questions that she is, that she is, that she is humbled, but yet strong enough to ask. I just give her so much credit. And she said, this lady does everything but spit in my face. I mean, it is truly a heartbreaker. But we said last night, because when Jesus finishes, he says, 
For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me to what to say and how to say it. I know. See, can you hear his confidence? I know that his command leads to eternal life. I know that what I came to do and what I came to say will lead you to all eternal life. And it will it will change you forevermore. It will it will be the greatest thing that you that you've ever experienced. I know it will lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. It's almost like it's it's kind of a relief. And I said this to that gal last night. I said, it's like Jesus is saying, I've done everything I can. I've said everything there needs to be said. And I know I said this last week. It's like that last chapter of Revelation. So now, if you want to be vile, stay vile. In other words, this is the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. I, between Genesis and Revelation, the story is there. It's over and over and over there. And if to this point you say no. So I said to her last night, I said, you don't have to have any regrets. You did everything that you can, just like Jesus said. So there, it's up to you. And I think this is what John is just so taken with when he's reminiscing. And so now we have gotten in this chapter, now we've moved to the Last Supper. We know it's Passover time. We know it is happening. It was just before Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come. The time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And again, we know that that was that little part of the line is what kept him going. Because the writer of Hebrews said that because of the joy that awaited him, he was able to endure the cross. But the same thing should be for us. You know, we always need something to hold on to. I always need something good to get me through something that's tough. I need to be looking forward to something I know that's crazy, but I think a lot of us are like that. And so Jesus, you know, he said he just, he knew he was going back to his father. And when you have something that wonderful, when you and I know we have something that wonderful, we know it was a promise and God fulfills his promise. We're going to heaven. We're going to be with him. And next week we're going to hear about let not your heart be troubled because let me tell you about what's coming. But this is how we get through our everyday because we know what's ahead. And then having loved his own who are in the world. We know that Jesus came and loved the world. He loved everybody in the world. He came, God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. Then whoever chooses, it's up to them. But God loves the world. He loves everybody in it. But there's something about those who have chosen him back. He knows the ones that chose him back. They're his own. It's the shepherd that owns his sheep now. They're his. Remember, I said, once you've gone to the cross, you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a very big price. And Paul explained that too. 
that it is no longer I that lives. It's not about me anymore. And when we veer off course and when it becomes about me again, we know it's the wrong road that will always head in the wrong direction. So his own, he was having loved his own. So yeah, he loved everybody. But you know as well as I do, when, when it's your own, there's just a different dimension of love there. If I, if I, and sometimes I would have that, I would have, when I would call children up, I would have 50 to 100 children sometimes around me. And I can honestly say, as I looked into their little faces, I loved every one of those kids. And I knew I had an awesome responsibility that moment. I loved those children. But if ever I called the kids up, and if by chance a granddaughter or grandson was among the group. It's not, I can't say that I loved them more, but I loved them differently because I know them so well and they know me so well. And so that's what Jesus, he knows his own. And now he was going to show his own the full extent of his love. And why wasn't he going to show it to everyone else? Because they don't care. They had no idea what Jesus was doing. They put him there. So they didn't have, that's why it says he was going to show his own what real love was and what he was willing to do for them. Because everybody else could have cared less. They, they were thinking he deserved what he got. Okay, now we're in the last supper. We're in the upper room. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot. Isn't that a scary thought? But let me just infuse something here a minute. I just want to encourage us that once we have been to the cross, Jesus through his spirit possesses our heart. Satan cannot possess us anymore. But we've heard Jesus say that if you're not one of mine, you're a son of the devil. We heard Jesus say that. Again, there's only two things. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And so, I mean, as much as we don't want to hear it, we have to. And because Judas would not accept Jesus for who he was because he wouldn't humble himself like the other leaven. Satan still was able to well, prompt him. Now, just because we've been to the cross and he no longer possesses us, does that mean he no longer bothers us? No, I think just the opposite. But he can't possess me. I just kind of believe he's got black claws that he digs in me and tries to maneuver me in the wrong direction. And it's up to me to claim the greater power that lives within me than follow the leading of the devil who is just trying to manipulate and maneuver me. But it's my call. Because Judas never accepted Jesus, he was under Satan's power. He had already prompted Judas. Verse 3, Jesus knew 
that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that he had come from God. And Jesus knew that he was returning to God. And I think John is making sure we know this about Jesus. He knew. He's so confident in who he is. He's so confident in in who he's listening to. He's so confident in what's going to happen to him and where he's going to land. And when you are so confident in who you are, that enables I think that's why John put that first before he had Jesus washing their feet because you can't do a lowly, probably the lowliest of jobs if you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus because otherwise you're wanting all the praise of men. But when you're doing your work as for him because of what he's done for you, you know who you are in Christ Jesus. And that does enable you to do whatever job he's called you to do. And I think this was one of those unforgettable experiences for John. I think last week when we talked about Mary and he witnessed that beautiful confession, repentance, I'm sorry, love poured out, Jesus' forgiveness, the, that was such a sight. And then when John witnessed what Jesus was now going to do, I think, I think John is just, he, his details are something. I mean, he detailed last week, he detailed this. When I say last week, I mean last week's lesson. Because it probably was only a day or two. But he details, because look how, look how easy he could have just said, and then Jesus got up from the table and he washed her feet. But instead, I think his jaw dropped because Jesus stood up from the table and he took off his outer clothing and then wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin Now, do you hear the details? And then he began to wash his disciples' feet, and then he dried them with a towel, that exact towel that was wrapped around him. See, he this was this was something. They had confessed that he is the Christ, he is the Son of the Living God, and and now he's washing our feet. So, unforgettable experience. That was just one more experience that you're going to see in just a minute that adds up and then all of a sudden the lights come on. And that's exactly what Jesus does with us. One day at a time, one experience after one experience, and then all of a sudden, maybe one Bible study after another, one chapter after another, and then voila, you get it what he means. Okay, after this, John goes on and says, then he went to Simon Peter. And when he went to Simon Peter, of course, leave it to Peter to be the one that says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? <laughs> 
Now, we talked about this last week about the feet, you know. I thought of one more thing. I remember when my boys would come home from, from basketball and I'd open up their duffel bag. You know, it's one thing to take out their uniform, but it was those socks. And it was those tennis shoes. So I think we're all aware. I think, and again, I, I added that because I just want you to know, they don't come, the chops don't come any lowlier than this. And so naturally, and I think this is where I have to say as much as I know Peter talks first and thinks later, I think I would have done the same thing. I think when Jesus would come up to me with that basin of water and he kneels down by my feet, I'm thinking, I don't think so. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, in other words, I can't skip. I have to wash you. You have no part of me. If you don't let me do what I have come to do, then you have no part of me. This whole washing the feet is all symbolic of what Jesus came to wash away our sins through the blood, the yuck. He washes away our sin with blood. But he says, unless you let me do that, unless you let me do that, you are no part of me. Well, then, of course, Peter says, well, then that's the case, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus went on to explain. He said, not everyone needs a bath again. The one who has had a bath needs only to have his feet washed. The whole body is clean. The whole body is clean. You just need your feet. And of course, he's talking about when we come to the cross and he washes us with his blood, that only has to happen once. That only has to happen because salvation is one time and we know that Jesus paid it all. And when we come to him, humble before him, he, he cleanses us and we don't need a bath. He doesn't have to do that again. But then the walk, but, but we do need our feet washed over and over again. And what helped me understand that is if I change the word feet to self. If I refer to these stinky feet as my stinky self, when I have veered off course because I thought I knew better and because I just didn't want to listen and I didn't want to hear, and I fell back to my ways, even though I started stumbling, but then in the realization, when I get back in God's word and, and then I realize what I did, kind of like of a Mary experience, it's like then you come back to him. You don't need another bath, but you do need your feet washed. Because we are far from perfect and self still gets in the way. But when Jesus said, and you are clean, though not every one of you, oh, 11 of them 
had had a bath. And as much as Judas fooled everybody, he didn't fool Jesus. Judas never had a bath. He never went to Jesus for the cleansing, admitting that he is nothing and needs a Savior. He never, in the course of those three years, when you read this and your heart broke for Jesus, the question always haunted me, and, and I get asked this, why would Jesus even pick Judas if he knew that Judas was never going to respond? And my only conclusion is, what an opportunity. What what. What an opportunity for Jesus to show what a lesson for you and I to be able to see that you can walk and fool everybody. You can sit in your church pew. You can even teach Sunday school. You can do all those things. You can say all the right words. You can quote the verses. Because as you read, he had everybody fooled. You can be that you can be that good of an actor or actress. And you can still be walking right in the middle of it all. And you can still be lost. I think there was a real reason why even though Jesus knew, it is a big reminder to you and I. This is a personal thing. You can know all the generic facts. Jesus loves all the children. He died for everybody. But unless you make it your own, you're like a Judas. You never had a bath. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he, he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place and then John says, I remember him saying, he looked at us and said, do you understand? Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what this means? Do you understand that this is another lesson that I'm trying to teach you? Because you are going to be sent out. And you need to have an attitude you need to have a countenance because I'm going to tell you something that I did not know before, but I found it in the Gospel of Luke. Luke describes this, this, same, this same Last Supper. You know, all the Gospels talk about the Last Supper, but everyone does something a little different. Luke, in Luke 22, verse 24, Luke says that while right before Jesus gets up from the table and, and details all what he's going to do, do you know what those 12 are doing? Those 12, there's a dispute going on. Who's the greatest? That puts a whole new twist on this, doesn't it? Why, Jesus would have to look at all those 12 and say, do you understand what I just did? Because he had just heard them saying, no, you know, he really kind of loves me more. No, I'm going to get the greater position um, in his kingdom because um, I did this and I did that. 
They, they're so typically human. They feel that their worth is based on their earthly achievements. And so there they are squabbling about this. And then Jesus gets up. I think that's another reason why John remembered it so well. So when Jesus said, do you understand why I did this for you? You're going to be doing, you're going to be having to do some jobs that are pretty lowly. And so I wanted to demonstrate, I wanted to be the example because you call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so. I love it when he said that. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and you know what? You're absolutely right about that. I looked up those two words. I mean, obviously I know what a teacher is, but I just wanted to hear a simple definition of teacher is when you want someone to know. When you want someone to learn and know. And Jesus, the the word is capitalized because he knows he's the ultimate teacher. He's going to teach and he wants us to learn and know the ultimate everything that we really need. And Lord, that means someone who is powerful and with authority over you. So he he bears those titles. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then he says, because I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, I don't care what you achieve on this earth. You know what? You always got a boss. I am still your master. I am still the one that sent you with the message. So if I'm going to do it, you better do it. And I might have told you this before, but one time we went into a little church, and you know, when we go into, when we go to do a concert, we're always there an hour, hour and a half early before people come. And so either they make sure church is open, or in this case, we walked in the door, and the pastor was standing on a, a stool, and he was changing this light bulb. And what came out of my mouth was, because he was an older fella, I said, what in the world are you doing? And he looked at me and said, well, I'm changing a light bulb. Like you ninny, you know. And then I didn't just leave it there. I says, well, why are you doing that? And he looked at me and said, because it was burnt out. And you know, what I thought about with that guy was that he didn't do it five minutes before the service when everybody was there so that everybody could see and they all could all marvel what a wonderful man he is. No, in the quietness 
of his calling. He was washing their feet. He was changing that light bulb because it was burnt out. And I think Jesus is saying, because see, these guys have been arguing about who's the greatest. He said, I'm sending you out, and there's going to be times that you're the lowliest. Charles Spurgeon, he wrote something, I just got to read it to you. He says, if there is a position in the church where the worker will have to toil hard and get no thanks for it, take it and be pleased with it. If you can perform a service which few will ever seek to do themselves or appreciate when performed by others, yet you do it with holiness and delight. Covet humble work, and when you get it, be content to continue in it. And then he makes this little note, and believe me, there's no rush after those lowly jobs because no one else is going after them. But all jobs, they need to get done. And any job Jesus is saying that is done for me to make sure that the kingdom can be taught, that there could be lights in this place so people can come in and see their, the words of God's word then so be it. You do it. Okay. He says this, and, and he ends this part of it with verse 17. Now that you know this, because he's pretty much saying, um, and when you experience it, you're going to remember my words. You're going to know this. You know this. You will remember this. So now that you know this, I want you to know you will be blessed if you do them. And when he blesses, you don't want to miss God's blessings. You never want to miss God's blessings. And it could be, it could be as simple as the satisfaction of knowing you did what he asked you to do. If you've ever had that feeling... And you know that God called you to do something and you did it to the best of your ability without the praise of men. I'll tell you, that's a blessing because there's a feeling. It's a feeling like none other. You put a smile on your Savior's face. And then he's, John starts a new section here and he quotes Jesus saying, I am now referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen. I know you all, and I know the ones of you who have chosen me back. So I know the ones that we have a close relationship. I know you, you know me. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He quotes the psalm, Psalm 41, that David wrote. David wrote this about himself and his enemies. David is pretty much saying, they're the same men that I eat with. And then they turn around and stab me in the back. And so David didn't even know that he was prophetic at the time. 
that he was talking about himself, but being that David was kind of like a form of Christ, that it was going to be exactly what Jesus was going to go through in the next couple of minutes. He walked with this man for three years. And yet he stabbed him. It's the worst of betrayals. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, and he was saying this for Judas too. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sends me. But kind of using a little psychology, I think he is saying, and those who reject the words reject me, and they also reject the one who sent me. And so Judas, you have pretended that you believe, and actually you've rejected. And so not only have you rejected me, you've rejected the God that you grew up saying you know. And why did I think that? Because the very next verse, John writes, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Don't think that the very thought of Judas betraying him wasn't going to hurt him. I mean, I think for three years it hurt him. And now that it actually is happening, he is troubled in his spirit. And out it comes. I tell you the truth. One of you, one of you is going to betray me. Oh, that, that just breaks my heart because I can see Jesus broken. Because he tried so hard. But this is, this is how good Jesus is. He unconditionally loved Judas for three years. That no one saw a difference. That's why in the next verse it says his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Now, this was something I couldn't wait to get to for you. Because so often, if people don't study their Bible, they think that John was Jesus' favorite. Now, we know that he had a close group. There was Peter, Andrew, James and John, or Peter and, and John. I mean, we know that he would take three. But remember, in Matthew, we went over that. It's not that he picks favorites. But he knows which one is going, going, going to go through what. And he's got to get them prepared for the job he's called them to do. So John wasn't his favorite. Oh, yeah, but he, he's called the one Jesus loved. Do you know, John is the one that called himself that. It's nowhere else in Scripture that John is labeled as the one Jesus loved. And do you realize this is the first time John says it? John said it four times. John is the disciple Jesus loved. And it started here in the upper room at the 
Last Supper when I think all of the pieces started to fit. The whole Mary episode, the whole washing of the feet. All of a sudden, John is saying, it's me. I'm the one he loves. Because it became personal. It wasn't the 12. It wasn't the world. It wasn't the crowd. All of a sudden, John realized, he loves me. He came to do all of this for me. And he labeled himself as the one Jesus loved. So you and I, I pray that every one of us gets to the point that all of a sudden, all of our Sunday school classes and youth group and Bible studies and sermons, and all, all of a sudden, it clicks. He did it for me. He really did it for me because that makes such a difference. When was the second time John referred to himself as that? At the cross? The third time he, he, he says this is when he's on his way to the tomb. He refers to himself as that. And then the fourth time he refers to himself as that is at the Sea of Galilee after Jesus rose. So those, see, it's after the fact. It's, I believe here, this is where John, he, he got it. Now, this is kind of cute. Simon Peter, he's probably next to John because he can't stand it. He says to John, I can just see him elbow him. Ask him. Ask him which one he means. So, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas. And as soon as Judas took the bread, verse 27 Mark my words is probably one of the saddest verses in scripture. One that Jesus came to die for, but chose not to be one of the whoever believes. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. I think that phrase means there was no turning back here. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But even at that, even though Jesus couldn't have made a plainer, it just shows again, it says even there, no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this. Thinking that Judas is being in charge of the money, is going to go out and buy something that they need, or give someone to the, give some to the poor. But verse 30, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, we know that Satan took over, he went out, and it was night. Yes, literally it was night, but spiritually it was night too. And you know, all of a sudden, all the words that Jesus said were, I am the light, and you have the light for a little while longer. 
But if you choose to walk out of the light, he said, you will walk in the darkness. So because of Judas' rejection, it happened exactly the way Jesus said it was going to. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. There was a lot of glory in that verse, wasn't there? And I thought, how neat it was that John remembered that. There was something about those words. Because even after the pain of Judas leaving and Jesus knowing what he's stepping into, and his heart is broken, his heart is troubled, he knows this is his Father's will. He knows he's going to go through with it. He knows how many people have rejected him. There's something about that verse that I think John remembers because it maybe put a little smile on his face. Because the Son of Man's going to be glorified. My Father's going to be glorified. We're all going to get back to where I don't have to do this again once for all. And then John says, Jesus' words, my children. Now he's talking to the eleven. My children, I will be with you a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now I went back to John 7 because that's when he said to the chief priests, he said in verse 32 of John 7, then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And Jesus said, I'm going with you for only, a, I'm going to be with you for only a short time. And when I go to the one who sent me, you will look for me, but you will not find me because where I am, you cannot come. Now we know that when he said that, you don't follow my terms, you're not going. That simple. You don't come through the one gate. You don't listen to the shepherd's voice because you don't become one of his. You're not going to be there. That's just the way it is. So what does he mean when he says that to the 11? He said, you cannot come where I am going. I think he explains the difference in verse 36. Because when Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow later. So they couldn't come now. So I think it's a different, a whole different scenario. To the unbeliever, you're not coming ever. To the 11, he's saying, no, you can't come with me now. I think it would have been the easiest thing to have them all go together. But he said, no, you can't come with me now. You will later. Because why? They got a job to do. It's not time to leave. And what is their job? Oh, a very simple job. Taking the gospel to the world is all. And how comforting that is. Do you know that you and I do not leave this earth a minute early or a minute late? 
as one of his own? So, like Paul, when he said, what a dilemma. To be with Jesus is the best, but if he needs me here yet. Remember when Paul said that? I think Jesus is saying to us, what a comfort. His timing is perfect. And if the Lord chooses this time to take you home, that's his choice. But if he chooses to leave you here, then he's got work for you to do. And then he says this, a new command I give you. A new command. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And there's a period there. So what are their simple instructions? What simple instructions does he give those 11? What does he say? This is what I want you to do. I mean, he could have filled a mountain load of books of saying, I want you to do this and this and this. Nope, he's saying, all I'm telling you is that this is my new command, not a suggestion. This is what I command you to do. You go and you love. But he just doesn't say love because that can be superficial. That can be warm and fuzzy. That can be conditional. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love as I have loved you. Now that took a lot of thought. That should ask, that should have those disciples wonder, okay, let's think about how he loved us. Because this is the command. This is what he's saying. I want you to go out and love, but I want you to love the way I loved you. So think about it. How did I love you? Because I think, you know, we, because we live in such a different world today. Because we are, our churches are having to answer questions about, should we let them in or not? And if they come in, should we kick them out? But they are such sinners. <laughs> this is why Jesus says, I want you to love the way I have loved you. And how did I love you? Well, first of all, I took you just the way you were. And it wasn't too good either. He went up to that tax collector booth and said, follow me. He said to James and John, and believe me, they were rebellious rascals. He went to a, someone who had quite a big mouth, who had trouble with his mouth. He went to another one that just thought logically. And then he went to one that he knew would betray him. And he said, you know, we love Billy Graham's song. Don't we love At the End of the Crusade? Oh, just as I am. Whenever you sing that song, warms your heart. Well, you want, you know what? We better start thinking about something. 
if he if we are so glad he takes us just the way we are and we are to follow his example it better be time we start loving the way Jesus loves you love people and take them the way they are but invite him to come to because then you know what in another way you love once Jesus took people the way they were I know someone very close to me who is experiencing this right now and I said, okay, how are you going to handle it? And he said, I'm going to love them. And then I'm going to preach like I've never preached before. And I've watched every time I preach, I've watched tears run down their faces. If Jesus took me just as I was, then my job is to take them as they are. Because the second part of what Jesus did when he said, love as I have loved you, is make sure they know the truth. How many times did you hear Jesus say to the people, I tell you the truth. Because I love you, these are the terms. Our love doesn't mean that we're condoning everything. But this person that I love so much and who is willing to do this is saying, because I'm wanting every person who's sitting in my church who's a sinner. Because every one of us, because if we're saying, what are they doing, sinners in our church? He's saying, it's just like the, the Pharisees saying, what is Jesus doing eating with those sinners? How are they going to know unless they hear? And how are they going to hear if they keep being thrown out? And how are they going to hear unless we're willing to love them the way Jesus did, the way Jesus taught? Oh, oh, I know, I know. But then wonder if, wonder if, we'll take that as it comes because every week as I preach the gospel, it is not my job to change our heart. It's the Spirit's job. Years ago, we didn't have to put up with all this. People just hid their sin and covered it up and walked in and behind closed doors. No one knew. We're living in a more open world. But sin is sin. And guess what? We're all one of the all. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So what is the church? And when that minister told me, Linnell, I'm sorry, I'm going to believe this person. He believed a lie. He said, we don't let sinners like you sing in our church. My goodness sakes. What's the church for? The church is a place where sinners can come and hear Jesus say, I tell you the truth. You're not going there. Just be rest assured. We're going to lay it out there. I don't care if you've got an addiction. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're a gossiper. I don't care if you're a critical spirit. You stay living in your sin. You're not going there. It's straight across the board. I don't care if you're good at hiding it. I see it. But I tell you the truth, my word will convict. That's why the person I love so much says, I don't have to condemn. 
Because look what Jesus said, and I read it to you when we started this lesson in chapter 12. Verse 38, there, 48, there's a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. He says, I'm going to preach. I'm going to tell them the truth. If they don't change their ways, I didn't condemn them. But the very word, the truth that I spoke to them when they stand in front of Jesus will condemn them. That's not our job. Our job is not to condemn. Our job is to make sure people hear about Jesus and hear his words and hear his terms. I've said this more than once to people when they say, well, that's not very nice. You know, there's only one way to the cross to be saved, go to heaven. Well, that's kind of narrow. I said, don't argue with me. I didn't write the book. I didn't write the terms. He did. But you know what? I'm about willing to do anything because he saved me from hell. So because of what he was willing to do for me, I'll take his terms. So when Jesus said, the new command I have for you, he said, men, I want you to go out there and this is all you need to know. You go out there and you love them. Love them how? The way I loved. Take them the way they are and then make sure they hear the truth. And you don't have to condemn because if they don't want to respond, well, Jesus will take care of that someday. It's not yours. It's not your place. And then look at verse 35 after he says that new command. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want to be identified as? One of his. And he said, when you love the way I love you, when you take people the way they are, but then you're not at all hesitant to make sure they know the truth. That's real love. You know why? Because you don't want them to go to hell. That's love. And you're willing to take it under the chin if need be. The person that I love so much, I know he's in for it. But I'm very proud of him. And I think together, if we really take this and we follow it, I think we could make a difference. Not only in our West Michigan, but who's to say other people aren't watching? By this, if we love like that, all people will know where we stand. They'll know we belong to him. Peter asked him, verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And you know, I believe that Peter meant it. But Jesus comes back and answers him because Jesus knows that Peter means well, but he also knows that 
Peter eventually will lay his life down. But you are not ready yet, Peter. You are so not ready yet because it isn't going to be just a matter of hours that you deny me. See, this is what's so beautiful about Jesus taking us one step at a time, one chapter at a time, one lesson at a time, because that's how we learn, and then that's how we know, and that's how we change. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for just being so upfront. Thank you, Jesus, for being so upfront. And John, oh, Jesus, he definitely was one that you loved. But he's such a good example of showing us that all of a sudden, lights come on. And we realize oh, our place with you. We realize your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, when we didn't even know we needed you, you took us just as we were. But then you became very firm saying, but I tell you the truth, unless you... So Father, the terms are there. And that's why we're responsible. That's real love. When we love and care about people enough to show them the terms of your word. The terms of Christ-like behavior. The terms of a power source that can live within us, that can help us do what we can't do for ourselves. Father, it is true. This book is all we need. Father, may we desire to hear this and not run because it's, it's our teaching, but that we hear this and we desire to be one of yours, labeled, watched, and maybe even modeled after. Father, we, we need to be a light in this dark world where everything is out there nothing and maybe there's some good about that that nothing is hidden that we're not playing those games but we are living in a society where wrong does look right and so again Father we thank you for giving us the instruction book and yet the simple command just go and love the way I did. Take them as they are, but don't be afraid to tell them the truth. Father, for your grace and for your mercy, we say thank you. And may you heard from the depths of our heart this morning, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could ever love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. But because of Jesus, oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. 
and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And it's that Savior's name we pray this. Amen. Have a good week, everybody.